We are, for the first time, seeing a rebirth. We're living through a period where real estate is going to be reborn. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. I'll tell you what, today we're going to go through some more fidgetomic activities of the fidgetal world. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, probably not a bad idea to back up one podcast and listen to the previous episode. Why? Because the fidgetal world is the world we currently live in. We're actually experiencing rapid change at a blistering pace because the digital and physical worlds are colliding. This is creating a colossal change in the landscape of real estate. So often do I see people invest in real estate based on methodologies and practices of a bygone era. My concern as a property investor myself is that people need to take stock of what is happening. The future of real estate is very different to the past and today we're going to go through some future digital economic ideas on how real estate will be reborn. And real estate is on a collision course to change. As we know, as we identified in our last episode, we know that the office market is being disrupted. We know that retail is also being disrupted. That disruption is reshaping everything. We understand that today it is possible to work from home. So your choice of where you work from is a big consideration now for people buying real estate. Does the real estate offer a good backyard, a great balcony to stretch your legs? Does the real estate have a study or a spare room which you can utilize for work? All of a sudden, the idea of real estate has morphed to not just being a place where you go to sleep, but actually a place where many people now wake up and go to work. For me, I wake up, walk downstairs, and I'm at work. It is an interesting new paradigm after spending 25 years of my life getting up, getting in a car, going to an office, collaborating on ideas, and then coming back home. All of a sudden, real estate has changed. The human science of that change is very much in the previous episode. Today, I don't want to go into some of the behavioral changes of what is occurring, particularly around the office space. Today, I want to talk about urban rebirth. The fact that people and place can actually go through change. We are, for the first time, seeing a rebirth. We're living through a period where real estate is going to be reborn. 
We've all heard of the born again Christian. We are talking about the born again property. So get ready, settle in, put me on pause, go get a glass of wine, have a beer, have a cup of tea. Let's crack on to the social and global rebirth of real estate. So to understand the rebirth of real estate, it is good to paint a little bit of a history of real estate. Property has gone through births in many past occasions. We've had warehouses where manufacturing has ended and those warehouses have gone on to be turned into offices or into residential homes. The rebirth of real estate is not a new thing. We are just seeing for the first time, really in living memory, a rebirth happen right in front of our eyes. I teach urban rebirth as a concept known as the urban behavioral economy. The urban behavioral economy has a history. Have you ever wondered why on Thursday nights in Australia, people can go late night shopping? Why do shops open late on a Thursday night? Well, to understand why shops actually open late on a Thursday night, we have to understand how real estate has unfolded in the past. Real estate in Australia grew rapidly after World War II. The idea that the automobile was shaping society also shaped property. People started to buy properties further and further and further from the city and the average family only had one car. So to do shopping, to get food, to buy new clothes, shops remained open on a Thursday night so one member of the family, perhaps the mum, perhaps the dad, could use the family car and go shopping on a Thursday night to collect things. Our society actually created a behaviour in how we shopped. This was in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Very, very common to go shopping on a Thursday night. Still common. The other reason, of course, people got paid on a Thursday. So you put the two together and you've created a behaviour. Past urban behaviours were very much dominated around real estate, the transformation of it, and of course the transformation of people. In the 1980s, one in three jobs in Sydney and Melbourne were in manufacturing. In manufacturing. Those jobs no longer exist. Manufacturing was done in the inner city. Suburbs close to the CBD, but not in the CBD. Since the 1980s, we've had the financial changes and financial jobs have been created. Those financial jobs decided living close to the city was perfect to work long hours in the CBD to crush business, to do global uh, jobs, to enterprise with multinational companies. Capital has always been drawn to CBDs. Capital is money. And in the 1980s, 
what occurred was the transformation, the last, the major urban rebirths, where financial jobs overtook that of warehousing jobs, of manufacturing jobs, and the factories became properties for financial workers to live in. We saw the transformation unfold. We've been waiting for a new transformation to occur. And right now, we are on the precipice of change. Will offices exist in the digital world? As we discussed in the last podcast, there is certainly going to be offices, there's going to be smaller offices, there's going to be different footprints. And of course, this is going to free up the idea that real estate can transform in some of our most marvellous locations. The best real estate in Australia is always close to the city. And it will probably continue to be that way. Livability is important. And if all of a sudden you have to live where you work, that conversation is even deeper and bigger. Not only does it pertain to if you have a large house or a small house or a big apartment or a small apartment, but also you really need to now love where you live. A lot of people have never really loved where they live. If I put 50 people in a room and I ask them, how many people in this room are in their dream house or in their dream suburb, I can guarantee you, and I have done this before, one out of 50 puts their hand up. 49 people out of 50 do not live in their dream home. 49 people out of 50 do not live in their dream suburb. But all of a sudden, the urban rebirth is reframing that perhaps spending a little bit more to get the better suburb, the better property is going to be a thing. Because if you're spending a lot of time in one place, you're going to have to love that place. It is big news in real estate. So I think here in Australia, we are obviously going through a pretty challenging time with the old coronavirus. It feels like everyone's broke because coronavirus has come along and kicked everyone in the knackers. Well, I tell you what, here in Australia, we are lucky, right? I just looked at the cases this morning in India, 78 thousand people today contracted coronavirus today in melbourne 41 people contracted coronavirus i do believe there needs to be some perspective in what is occurring see australia already has livable cities if you look at the global livability index you'll find Australian cities are highly ranked. In fact, the one city we're all picking on at the moment, little old Melbourne, has won the world's best city seven years in a row to live. So we are going through urban rebirth and there is this argument that it's by doomsday, is that it's kind of like the end of Melbourne, it's the end of Sydney, it's the end of Perth. 
We're all going to go and live with alpacas in a farm in the middle of nowhere. Well, let's just calm down. The first rule of the urban rebirth is that cities are going to continue to prosper. They are the seed of innovation. They are the seed of capital. They are where jobs are. And many cities in Australia are very livable. Melbourne is not an expensive city. There are pockets in Melbourne which are expensive, but you can still build and buy a home 20Ks from the city in Melbourne for $500,000. You could go to a smaller Victorian city and build a home for $400,000. The difference is not huge. It costs a lot to build all over Australia. Melbourne is a livable city. It is a world-class city. It's got arts. It's got culture. It is fun. It is a combination of mystery, adventure, attitude and money. Many Australian cities are without question going to prosper after coronavirus. I will do a talk on how our cities will re-prosper. If you tune in next week, you're going to hear the conversation of how we are going to socially engineer wealth out of real estate as Australia's number one asset class. But Melbourne's not alone in the top cities around the world when it comes to livability. Sydney's in there, Adelaide, Brisbane, Perth, all of our major cities qualify as completely livable. Remember, today India's had 78,000 cases of coronavirus. We have shut down Melbourne for 41 cases of coronavirus. The standard is set high here in Australia, very high. And of course, the federal government is footing the bill, pumping up everyone with a bit of JobKeeper, a bit of free money, a bit of printing money out of the printing press, which will also be discussed on my next podcast. Hey, if you have to live within a five-kilometre radius... What is your decision-making process around real estate? If you had to stay within a five-kilometre radius for the rest of your life, where would you choose? It's a pretty big question. But that is the current state of affairs. Victorians can go five kilometres from their property and spend one hour outside right now. So all of a sudden we get to realise we're living local. Urban rebirth is something town planners have been working on for a very long time. It's called the 20-minute neighbourhood. It's called living local. I'm big on this. Everyone I coach, I'm like, you've got to invest where you can live local. If you could see yourself living there and having a good life, having good local public transport, having cycleways, being able to walk around without a car, having a diverse difference of people and place, having great local schools, great green places to go to, parks, sporting facilities, you're in a good area, right? But the problem is most of society is not living that way. Most of society goes home to an area where there is 
one local park, not 10 to choose from, where there are no parks to bushwalk in, where there is no lake to go and sit by, where there is no beach to go jogging in the afternoon. The idea of the urban rebirth is that real estate will be valued on what is within its five-kilometer radius zone. Think about that. Think about how you're investing. I was talking to a guy on uh, chat. Everyone's chatting now, aren't they? They get on Facebook, then you send you a private message, have a chat. Chat's the new world. Everyone does business by chat now. It's getting really weird. Once upon a time, we just rung each other on the telephone. Before that, we wrote letters. Now we just chat. Hey, mate, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Guy I was speaking to was looking to buy a property, a house and land package in the middle of nowhere. Thought it was a great idea. I was like, mate, what's within the five kilometer radius? What's local to this? The world is changing. People need to learn to invest in living local and what that means. Space is changing. We are seeing now for the first time in a very long time that real estate is going through the shuffle. The shuffle is occurring. People are now searching for properties with functionality. For the first time ever, people are going, how functional is this real estate to live at home in this real estate? Does it have a study? Does it have a spare room? Does it have space? And we don't necessarily need to change our real estate. There's real estate for everyone because there's all types of people. 24% of Australians are single. So the idea that they're going to leave a city to go and live in a big house in the bush makes no sense to me. That's false economics. If anything, what you will see is one bedrooms perhaps are more suitable for one person, not two. Couples because people will work from home, will look for two bedrooms, not one bedroom. Everyone's upsizing. Shared people will look for an extra space. All of a sudden, people who normally live in two bedrooms want a three-bedroom. People who live in three bedrooms want a four-bedroom. People who live by themselves will continue to want the one-bedroom. When they get the girlfriend, the boyfriend... They're going to go, you know what? We need to expand. So the great thing around real estate is space is morphing because people's behaviours are changing and all of a sudden how we view real estate is changing as well. Do we have a balcony which is usable? Do we have a backyard which is usable? I teach this a lot. I teach the idea that real estate is being fought over two big places right now. Accessibility divided into two components. Mobility or the distance from getting to somewhere and proximity or the ability to be local to something. For a long time, property investors have invested thinking, well, if I just buy close to the train line, I'm still 45 minutes from the city, 
and there's nothing actually out where I'm investing but a train station, well, that's not good enough anymore. You need the train station, you need the park, you need the tennis courts, you need the cricket pitch, you need the local coffee shop, you need the barista. You need the whole package as the urban rebirth unfolds. More people living local. More people wanting to live within their five-kilometre radius of where they live. Remember, Fidgetomics or the digital world People will continue to use the train and get to town. But they want more. And this is where the two big things real estate is going to be fought over into the future is going to be mobility and proximity. How mobile is the your person renting from you in your property? How close are they to amenities, the people renting from you? And this brings us to something I'm a massive believer in. The idea of the third place. The third place is something most property investors never consider. Now, in urban economic rationality, the third place is simply an area that you can go to which is close to your property where you live or the property investment you own where your occupants can walk outside and go somewhere the third place now a lot of property investors never buy the third place they buy the first place the first place is the home the apartment the townhouse the second place is the backyard the balcony the courtyard we get that bit right as property investors. It's hard to go wrong. Every property comes with a first and second place. Can't stuff it up. But would it not be better to choose an investment on top of the park or next to the walking track or just within a couple of hundred meters to the shops or 200, 300, 400 meters to the beach? The third place is now big because whether you are working from home in a big house, a small house, a tiny house, you go bonkers if you don't move around. And the idea that you need to be walkable to the third place is extremely important. Third places in real estate should does not mean getting in the car and driving 20 minutes to find a third place. A third place needs to be walkable. The idea of walkability to me equals capital growth and cash flow. I've been investing in walkable neighborhoods more than any other real estate neighborhood. Why? The third place. To me, Real estate, particularly in the investment sector of the marketplace, is fairly generic. I mean, most people listening to this are not spending two mil, three mil on a property. Most people listening to this are spending 200, 300, 400, 500, 600, 700 thousand dollars on real estate. Well, here's the news when you spend 500 thousand dollars on real estate, it is pretty much similar to just about every other piece of real estate. Real estate is homogenous in the mass market. The mass market shops at $500,000. 
The discretionary market shops at 2 million, 3 million, 1.5. You're not spending that. You might spend that on your own home, but you're not spending that on an investment property. So if we realize we're in a homogenous marketplace, meaning the real estate we're buying really is less unique than we think, then we need the third place. And as more people work from home, the third place is going to be vitally important to growth and rental returns. People will pay you more rent if your property offers a good third place. The more rent you collect, the more cash flow you have, the more ability there is to get out of the rat race. This is what it's all about, right? Real estate is about getting out of the rat race and moving into a self-funded dynamic. So the idea that you got to concentrate on post-coronavirus economics, phygenomics. The urban world is changing, but it is going to survive and I tell you what, we are seeing some adaptations in real estate, like the hotelification of real estate, the third place of real estate, the environmental challenges of real estate. But real estate will continue to prosper in the best locations. Now, there is an argument that offices will continue to become less occupied. So what happens if a CBD, whether it's our big CBDs or our small CBDs, gets less office workers, less people coming to do business in them? Well, the first thing you need to understand is the office worker is not the problem. It's the challenge is the affiliated services that office workers use, the coffee shop, the barista, the gym in the city, the retail shops. And so for those businesses to be viable, office workers have typically gone to cities. But this has been transforming for a while, the idea that if an office worker isn't going to go to the cities, then residential people need to live in the cities. And the urban rebirth of real estate is famously occurring already. Offices are being turned into residential homes, townhomes, apartments, and probably the most famous former office marketplace to turn into a high-caliber residential area is St Kilda Road, Melbourne. Drive down St Kilda Road, Melbourne. It is sometimes known as the Champs-Élysées of Melbourne. It is a beautiful, wide, tree-lined street. On either side of the road, there are former offices and those former offices which were once invented for the overflowing CBD itself and the overflowing 
work in offices from the financial era of real estate have now turned into absolutely cracking, absolutely cracking residential properties. So the first thing we need to understand is if we're going to have less offices in the CBD, it's not such a bad thing because what that will do is transform CBDs from quite often 12-hour economies to 24-hour economies. What do I mean by that? A 24-hour economy is usually by virtue that people want to be in the city living day and by night. Now, if you go to the big cities of the world, London, New York, Tokyo, they're 24-hour places. But those cities are just not office workers. Australian cities were, for whatever reason, created in a rather unusual dynamic. People grew up outside of the CBD, looking at it, and only went to it for work, and then left it. Many cities around the world are the polar opposite. You go into the CBD, yes, there's jobs and work and office jobs and financial jobs and knowledge jobs, but also there are more people living there, which creates even more atmosphere. So the future of cities, the rebirth of cities, is going to be absolutely awesome. We are going to see more people living in CBDs. We are going to see more arts and culture. We are going to see a bigger economy in cities. In fact, in property economics, we call this effect the Soho effect. That artists once brought life to a dysfunctional part of both New York and London in the areas known as Soho, bringing with it more retail trade, more restaurant trade, more colour. And the future rebirth of the depletion of offices is actually new industries, new culture, new gentrification, which will lead to even more property value being thrusted upon the real estate marketplace. Now, there is already plans for urban rebirth in many cities. And we call this the superblock effect. St Kilda Road, Melbourne is an example of the superblock effect. You take a block, you change its use, you change its behaviour, and all of a sudden, magic happens. Now, in urban planning, superblock effects work a couple of ways. You change the use or you improve the use, and the future of cities is improved use. In other words, not just work, but play as well, because people will live in cities far more than in the past history of Australia. Why? Because cities are fun. Urbanity is great. People have a good time in cities. I guarantee you 
the idea of moving to a town with five shops that's 200 kilometers from the city just because it's cheap, you're going to get bored as shit. Cities will offer a complete transformation experience for people. So I'm going to play you something that's on YouTube. I want you to listen to it because it's all about superblocks. It's all about the transformation of an area by actually removing cars because cars actually almost create this kind of inability for people to nest in cities. So super blocking is already on the plan. Melbourne has super block plans where it will remove cars, it will allow office and residential to occupy in peace. And the results are staggering. So I'm going to play you this little video that is commonly found on YouTube. I just want you to hear it out so you can understand the future of Australian cities. If you imagine a typical American city street and you take away the space that's dedicated to cars, you aren't left with very much. There's some narrow walkways on the side and some bridges in between them, but not much else. Cars dominate cities. Spend some time walking around most cities and you'll find yourself pushed to narrow sidewalks, waiting for crosswalk lights. You'll find cyclists navigating really narrow strips of space. Americans are used to cars the way that fish are used to water. And that's so ubiquitous in the US that I think most people, it just never occurs to them that it could be otherwise. But what if there were a way to change that, to give space back to pedestrians and bicyclists and to make cities more friendly to life outside of a car? It turns out Barcelona might have a solution. In 2014, the city was faced with serious air pollution problems. Barcelona and its 35 surrounding municipalities consistently failed to meet the EU's air quality targets. And studies were showing that air pollution in the region was causing 3,500 premature deaths every year. Traffic in the city also causes severe noise pollution. So the city developed an extensive urban mobility plan with the hope of reducing traffic by 21%. The coolest part of the plan were these things. They call them superilles. Superillas? Si, superilles. That translates to superblocks. It's this urban design concept intended to minimize the presence of cars in city centers. The word superblock has been used before to describe huge city blocks without any passageways for cars, but that's not what's happening here. So here's how Barcelona's plan works. You take nine square city blocks and you close off the inside to through traffic, so buses and big freight trucks, or any vehicles that are trying to get from one part of town to the next, have to drive around the perimeter. Inside the super block, the speed limit is kept to 10 kilometers per hour. That translates to just over six miles per hour. And curbside parking is replaced by underground parking. And that means you wind up with street space for markets and outdoor games and events. Within this nine square block perimeter, you're gonna have kind of a pleasant uh, streetscape where people can walk around and mingle and do things without this kind of constant fear of cars around. The concept is going to be tested out in five neighborhoods, but the city has identified 120 possible intersections throughout the region where it could be implemented. So how do we know what the results of this kind of plan would look like? Well, northwest of Barcelona is a city called Vitoria Gasteiz, which has implemented superblock designs since 2008. In the main superblock at the city center, pedestrian space increased from 45% of the total surface area to 74%. 
And with so much less traffic, noise levels dropped from 66.5 decibels to 61 decibels. Most impressive of all, there was a 42% reduction in nitrogen oxide emissions and a 38% reduction in particle pollution in the area. And on top of that, business is up. What you consistently see when people change their streetscapes to prioritize human beings over cars is you don't see any decline in economic activity. You see the opposite. You get more people walking and cycling around more slowly, stopping more often, patronizing businesses more, and, and that kind of sort of that social that center of social activity will tend to build on itself. So here's the question: Could something like this work in an American city? Barcelona has uh, some unique advantages getting started on this plan in that a lot of it was built before cars and a lot of it was built on a simple grid. The district of Echamplo, which is where the Superblock plan is based, was designed in 1859 in this repetitive grid structure by this guy, Ildefonso Sardá. He basically invented the word for and the study of urbanization when he laid out this grid plan for Barcelona that evenly distributed resources like schools and hospitals. But superblock designers insist that cities don't need a simple grid structure to implement this kind of plan. It can work anywhere. Now, cities in the U.S. have attempted some car-minimizing projects like this. The problem is they're usually done in wealthier areas with lots of existing businesses. Zoning policies often require separation of residential areas and commercial areas, but an ideal walkable area would be a mix of the two. On top of that, zoning minimums on parking availability encourage the presence of cars and parking lots, and minimums on street width make for really wide, unwalkable streets. And because of that, walkable districts are basically isolated luxury items in the U.S. What makes the Barcelona plan different is that they aren't setting aside one fancy neighborhood or town square to make pedestrian friendly. Instead, by proposing superblocks throughout the entire city, they've declared car-free spaces a right for everybody, no matter what part of town they're in. Maybe this might be overly optimistic, but I think it's sunk in in the U.S. that the model whereby every city resident comes with a car and drives a car everywhere is just inherently limited. It limits the growth of your city. It limits the health of your city and the growth of your city. So one way or another, we have to find ways of having a lot of people live close to one another without all of them having cars. You're being able to get around and work and play and live and have enjoyable lives without cars. And today, this is how the American road... That was brought to you by Vox Media. So the urban rebirth is unfolding. One of the my most favorite places I love going to anywhere in the world is Japan. In Tokyo, you have the Ginza. And the Ginza is a walkable neighborhood. It's actually a very expensive neighborhood. Part of the expense is the fact that it is walkable. Part of the expense is that you can take your time to promenade and look at beautiful shops and take your time to have a coffee and, and uh, not be hassled by the rat race, which is much of the rest of Tokyo. The Ginza is really the superblock model. If you've ever been to Japan, make sure you go check out the Ginza. But uh, the Ginza is really the future of many of our inner city and CBD locations because once you remove the need for office workers to get in and out of cities on a constant metric you're actually left with really beautiful real estate 
which can be inhabited by full-time residential dwellers and the ability to then transform CBDs by redirecting traffic all of a sudden creates more ability to walk. One of the challenges in society is retail and retail is a big fundamental of jobs in Australia as it is of much of the world. For retail to be really active, for retail to be successful, CBDs will allow not just late night shopping on Thursdays, they will allow it to be 24-7. And a lot of that will be driven by the idea that people can now walk through cities, that cars aren't going to necessarily uh, compete with them. And the Ginza effect or that super block effect will unfold without question as the rebirth of cities will unfold, particularly Australian cities which are not used to residential people living in the CBD. It's a very small footprint at the moment and the future, without question, is going to be unlocking some very, very valuable parts of CBDs to the residential world, the residential walking world and the residential retail world which will absolutely game change Australian cities for the better. The value of real estate in the future around cities is going to become even more expensive without question, not less. The new maths of real estate is designed around how people live, work and play, how mobile or how close people live to places and of course the idea that behaviourally Knowledge and wellness is a big part of people's decision making. Hey, I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you uh, have any feedback for me, feel free to contact me. Shoot me a message, shoot me a chat. I'd love you to leave a five-star review of this episode if you thought it was good. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I will catch you and we'll talk property and crack the code of real estate wealth. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.